It's time to find out the stories behind the stories. Welcome to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. Get ready for some amazing guests, along with Nick's own expertise and insight behind some of today's top news in sports. The where, why, and how. Now, here's your host, Nick Ferguson. I see, see, I, I jumped the gun for a second on my <laughs> intro. And, and the reason why I jumped the gun, because uh, for the past two weeks, uh, Ebony and Ivory hadn't been a cohesive unit. Ivory it, was, has, it was just Ebony uh, yes. without Ivory. And, and, I, and uh, Ivory was off doing his own thing. So I guess I was used to leading him by myself. But it is great as Thursday as always. I can mean only one thing. Secondary Perspective is on the air wherever you are. Thank you for listening uh mario yes sir we have our first guest on the line ryan burton for you guys don't know he writes for the boxing scene magazine and you can find him at ringside writer and we're going to talk to him about this weekend's fight uh ryan welcome to the program thank you for joining us well i guess we have to see if uh ryan is uh there can you hear me uh, yeah ryan Oh, awesome, awesome. So, so Ryan, big fight this weekend, and there was a lot of controversy in the first fight between Tim Bradley and Manny Pacquiao. And my question I have for you, uh, when you look at uh, Freddie Roach and their uh, approach to this particular fight, it, it seems as though they've changed a little thing and, uh, with the workout, and Pacquiao is not as aggressive as we've seen him in the past, and he's become more of a passionate fighter. Uh, talk about how that could possibly play into the decision at the end of this bout. Yeah, I think basically with what happened in the first fight, you know, Pacquiao and his whole team felt they won the fight, that that they don't want to take that chance again. Even though they thought they won, obviously they came out on the short end of the stick. And I think that Freddie's trying to make them more aggressive again, but we just haven't seen that for Manny the past couple of years. Well, last week I had Andy Walker on the show, and he was talking about Tiger Woods and his age and the injuries and how they were playing and to the fact of whether Tiger can regain his own form. When we look at Pacquiao, he's a guy who's been in the fight game for a, a number of years, and he lost to Marquez, he fought Rios, and now I think the biggest question is, you know, can he be that same fighter of, of old and, and knowing as though he's going to have to try to go into this fight against Tim Bradley and try to knock him out. I mean, are we seeing the last of Manny Pacquiao? It could be. This is, you know, pretty much a, a must-win fight for him. He lost to Bradley the time before, then he was brutally knocked out by Marquez, then he beats Rios, but losing three out of four is obviously not a very good look. And like you said, you know, he's been in the sport as a pro for 20 years. His style isn't like a, a Mayweather who's more defensive or he doesn't take the punishment. You know, Pacquiao can get hit. So eventually you're going to burn out when you fight that type of style. Now, I read something, an article uh, earlier today uh, from uh, about Rogers Mayweather, trainer for Floyd Mayweather. And, you know, everyone's been hoping that 
we, we would see the fight that everyone wants to see, Pacquiao and Mayweather. If, if, let's just say Pacquiao wins this fight against Tim Bradley on Saturday. Do you feel as though we would still see this Floyd Mayweather-Pacquiao fight? And if so, who do you feel, in your opinion, will end up victorious in that fight? Well, if he wins this fight, I definitely feel that we'll have more interest in it. The fans will be asking for it more. But, I mean, there's just so many issues as far as different promoters, different sponsors, different networks. I don't have a, you know, I'm not real confident that the fight's going to actually take place. But at this point in their careers, I would have to favor uh, Mayweather just for basically the reason I said before. He's a little bit fresher, hasn't taken the punishment. So I think he would win a decision over Pacquiao if they were to fight. Now, Ryan, let me ask you this, man. It seemed like a couple years ago, Manny Pacquiao was like the biggest name in boxing along with Floyd Mayweather. And, you know, there was talk about whether or not they would fight. And it kind of seems like Pacquiao was almost faded into obscurity. Do you think that's because of his political career at all? Is it because he hasn't had as much success recently as he did in the past? Like, what is this uh, what is this occurrence we're seeing where, like, no one knows what's going on with Pacquiao? Well, I think part of it is what you said. And then, you know, you lose two fights in a row. Boxing is an unforgiving sport and business. You know, you kind of fall off the map a little bit. Then his last fight was in Macau against Brandon Rio, so it was kind of off the radar here in the U.S. as far as, you know, most fights he has in Las Vegas. So I think that's kind of where he's taken the back seat. And honestly, his fights haven't been the same, you know, they haven't had the same excitement level that before when he was knocking out, you know, Miguel Cotto and Oscar De La Hoya. Um, like you guys were saying earlier, he's a little bit more compassionate in there. He's uh, taking up religion a lot more, and some people, including Freddie Roach, think that might be part of the reason why he doesn't really want to hurt his opponents like he did in the past. Right. If you just joined us, we're joined by Ryan Burden from, he writes for uh, theboxingscene.com, and you can follow him at Ringside Writer. Uh, Ryan, my question is, when you look at the fact that two fighters are under the same umbrella, they're being promoted by the same uh, individual, uh, a top rank. Does that somehow, you know, play a part in who wins and who loses and how they set up these matches as far as uh, the first bout or, or maybe a rematch? Well, the one thing for sure is when you promote both guys, no matter what happens, you're going to come out with the winner. So, I mean, obviously Pacquiao is the bigger uh, name, the bigger moneymaker, the pay-per-view seller. But if Bradley wins, you know, top rank is still in a good position because they still have him. And no matter what, uh, Pacquiao's uh, fans, especially the Filipino fans, will always be loyal to. Um, I wanted to say it necessarily influences the uh, who wins the fight because, well, like we were talking about earlier, most people thought Pacquiao won the first fight, and obviously it didn't play out that way. Uh, but we can also say that Bradley is a much more uh, well-known name in boxing now today than he was, you know, leading up to that fight. Now, uh, Tim Bradley comes into this fight, and not a lot of people gave him the, or given him the respect that he deserved. He goes out and beat Pacquiao the second time, no controversy, straight up, maybe TKO. Now, do people start to talk about Bradley the way that they need to talk about him as a fresh face in boxing and an ideal contender? I think so. I mean, not only will he have a legitimate win over Pacquiao, but his last fight he beat Juan Manuel Marquez, who just knocked Pacquiao out, and he beat Ruslan Kovatnikov on HBO in a fight that was very exciting. So I think you add all that up, and he'll be a household name, and then maybe we'll start getting a clamoring for a Mayweather against Bradley fight. Well, that would be a great fight, you know, Bradley versus Floyd Mayweather. I still think, you know, even though Floyd hasn't fought in some time, I mean, he still wanted a pound-for-pound best fighter, and it's hard for me 
even if he were to fight Pacquiao to ever bet against uh, Floyd uh, Mayweather. Uh, so your prediction for this fight Saturday, how do you have the, co- the card scoring at the end of the bout? Well, just um, for full disclosure, the first fight I thought Pacquiao won eight rounds before. This fight I think is going to actually be closer in reality, but I think Pacquiao is going to pull out a decision around the score of like 115 to 112, probably seven rounds to five, but I think uh, going to knock Bradley down once. We're going to see a little bit of the old Pacquiao that we're used to seeing against like Dakota and De La Hoyas. You know, i got to ask you this question because I get this, asked this question all the time, and it's very comical to see it after the match is completely over. Normally, Larry Merchant comes into the ring, and sometimes Larry asks some of the, the, the wildest questions, just like, okay, well, Pacquiao, you were just punched in the face by Marquez and you taste the canvas. Well, what were you thinking when you saw or you did not see that right jab? The, 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 when, you look, when you look at Larry Merchant, does he drive you crazy asking these type of questions? It kind of drives you crazy, but at the same time, you want to hear what the answer is. You're just glad you're not the one asking the question. That's how I look at it. It's, yeah, it does make you kind of cringe, though, some of the questions, but it's like, right. well, let's see how this guy answers it. Well, I, I, I tell you, I'm, I'm looking forward to this fight. I know a lot of people are. Uh, I, I'm still on the fence as far as who I want to win. You know, I like Pacquiao, but I want to see Tim Bradley step into the spotlight and get the credit that he deserves because he's a hungry fighter. He said plenty of times before, you know, Pacquiao is going to have to knock him out because if he doesn't, that's like taking food off his, his table. Uh, do you think Pacquiao can win this fight with the knockout? I think he can, but it's not going to be easy. I mean, Bradley, you know, he doesn't have a loss on his record. One, if you think that he lost to Pacquiao the first time, but uh, he's a real tough guy. He can take a punch. He's been knocked down before, and he always got back up. So I'd say he has a chance, but I'd probably say a knockout is at 10% at the most. Well, there it is. You heard it from Ryan Burton, writes for the boxing scene. He said that a knockout is possible, but maybe Aunt Likely. Ryan, thanks for joining the program, man, and maybe we can get you on after the fight uh, to uh, discuss a couple of things. Uh, thank you for joining the program. Uh, as we move forward, uh, in our second segment, we'll be talking to Jack Real, agent of Champ Bailey, and see, well, what went into the whole situation with the Denver Broncos? Did they talk to Champ before they decided to part ways with him? And what might it be like for a Champ and Rex Ryan defense? Also, at the bottom of the hour, we talked to no other than Captain America himself. No, he's not part of the Avengers, but we're going to talk to Ken Swilling, former Georgia Tech standout and All-America, and get his take on the state of the program and what he thinks about tech moving forward. Uh, let me see if uh, Mario Ivory is still with me. Mario, you still with me? Well, I guess Mario is not, and Ivory has checked out of the building. Uh, you know what? For, for me, it's kind of interesting because uh, normally I don't watch the American Country Music Awards, but I consider myself to be a very diverse guy and, and musical taste. But I had a chance to watch it. And what was what's funny for me is Jerry Jones. Now, I don't know about for you guys, but when I think about this, the, the, normally the faces of the franchise are normally the quarterbacks. But now with Mark Cuban, Daniel Snyder, and more importantly, Jerry Jones, you see more of these owners than you see uh, anywhere. But Jerry Jones is probably the face that you, that's seen everywhere. I mean, Papa John's commercial, Coke commercial, you name it, he's there. 
uh, he was at the American Country Music Awards and he was asked a question pertaining to his Dallas Cowboys. And he, he said, well, even though we haven't been to the playoffs in some time, we are still the most watched, we sell the most merchandise, and everyone loves us. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, when I listen to this, I'm thinking, wait a minute, did, did Jerry just come out and say that making money is more important than putting a quality product on the field? I mean, to me, when you have Tony Romo and you pay him a, a significant amount of money, Dallas Cowboys fans want someone to step up and get them to the promised land. So long gone are the days of just stats during the regular season because we know, as someone said to me, a good coach said to me, stats are for losers. The only one that matters is the W at the end of the day. And right now, it doesn't seem as though the Cowboys is that team that's going to get to that next, that next level. So I don't know what Jerry's pushing. I know you talk to a lot of Dallas Cowboys fans. They're disappointed. They're upset. They hope at some point one day that Jerry decides to hire a GM. And I know this for sure. When you look at coaches, head coaches of that, and I think when I look at Jason Garrett, is Jason Garrett become the yes man and that's why he's allowed to keep his job year in, year out, opposed to maybe a Jimmy Johnson, who Dallas Cowboy fans hope comes back at some point, but that's probably never going to happen. Bill Parcells, these two coaches, you know what they have in common? They probably would not put up with Jerry's nonsense. But Jason Garrett, he's like that piñata, just keep taking swats. So I don't know. I really don't dig what, what you know Jerry said in American Country Music Awards that, hey, how can you talk about the fact that your team has not won a couple of playoff games and be proud of that? I mean, are you telling your fans to accept mediocrity, to accept the fact that get used to us not going to the playoffs. Hey, we'll come to our stadium, have a great time, look at the Jumbotron, but don't expect for us to win. Uh, let's see if we can get Mario back in here on the line. I think Mario will be here back in just a second. But uh, going back to the Manny Pacquiao-Tim Bradley fight, uh, Tim Bradley is really hungry. He's really hungry to come out and dispel any kind of rumors about uh, what kind of boxer he is. Is he an elite boxer? Can, can he fight maybe a Floyd Mayweather and, and be considered one of the tops in his weight class? I, I think he has. And I think one thing you can never dismiss is a guy that's on a mission. And this guy is on a mission. He's, he's set to prove Saturday that, that, that the, the fight that was considered on, on June 9, 2012, a controversial fight, he expects to come in here and really show everyone, pound for pound, he, he's a great boxer. And he's coming in to knock Manny Pacquiao out. Well, will that happen? I don't know. I know I'll be sitting in my living room with some popcorns and see exactly what takes place with this fight because this fight can change a lot for both boxers, both Tim Bradley and Manny uh, Pacquiao. And I know Manny Pacquiao's camp has been talking about him retiring on top. So if he wins, I don't know. This could be his last uh, fight and the Floyd Mayweather fight. Yeah, I guess it'd just be a pipe dream and we can only see this fight in virtual reality play out on maybe PS2 or Xbox. We don't know, but a lot will be said on Saturday when these two fighters 
link up. Uh, we up against a break, but coming up after the break, Jack Real talking Champ Bailey and New Orleans Saints and the Denver Broncos. You don't want to miss that. You listen to Nick Ferguson's secondary perspective on Voice America Sports. <laughs> Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Sports and medicine go hand in hand. Quite simply, if you aren't up to your game health-wise, you won't be up to your game on the field. That's where Bruce the Sports Doc comes in. Dr. Bruce Grossinger uses his medical training and experience to bring you a link between sports and medicine, from the latest advances and treatments to discussion behind the injuries of the week. Bruce the Sports Doc and his team of guest experts are here each week to lay it on the line in terms that you can understand. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? You're listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to nickfergshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. You know what's very uh, interesting? Uh, I was listening to another show as I was coming in, and, and there was something that really troubled me. You know, I was, I was hearing someone say, well, if the Houston Texans, who have 
the first overall pick in this coming draft, May 8th, so tune in for that. That would be on the NFL Network. That maybe they should not take Jadavian Clowney. Dude, it, come it, on. This, this, no, this is so – they have to take him. Well, 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 well what, I, what I was hearing was just the fact that you don't have to take Jadavian Clowney. And any team that overlooks Johnny Manziel, they're going to hate themselves. They're going to be kicking themselves come the end of the season. And I thought that this was the most appalling thing I've ever heard. Not to say take anything from Johnny Manziel – but when you look at what the league has become and the fact of you need to play defense with these so-called, that's right, and I'm giving you air quotes, elite quarterbacks, you need <laughs> pass rushes. You need guys who are impact players. That's linebackers, wide receivers, pass rushers, and linebackers. If you're not high on any quarterback, and it doesn't seem like you know these quarterbacks have really separated themselves, Blake Bortles, Johnny Manziel, Teddy Bridgewater, they haven't really separated themselves from one another Really? So why go out and take that quarterback with the first overall pick? I don't think you do that. If you don't want to take Jadavion Clowney, Houston Texans, move down. I mean, you have so many deficiencies on your team, it would be better suited to gain more picks to make your team better on both sides of the ball. Mario, I'll let you weigh in on that. What did they do? I think it was in 2006 when it was between Mario Williams and Reggie Bush. And you know what? Mario Williams was not nearly as highly sought after as Jadavian Clowney was. And Reggie Bush was much more sought after than a Johnny Manziel or Blake Bortles or Teddy Bridgewater. So in my opinion, we've seen this franchise do this before, and right. I, I think people, they need to disregard this last season. It was a little bit of an anomaly. You know, they had so many injuries. Their offense lived and died by Arian Foster. He got hurt. Their defense is good, Nick. That's not the problem, but they were on the field so much because of their offense mm-hmm. that they struggled. But here's the thing. You get Arian Foster back, you can put just about any quarterback back there. I know Matt Schaub had good years with them, and then he completely fell off, and now he's gone. Matt Schaub is not even close to an elite quarterback. I put him probably in the bottom half of quarterbacks, Nick, even when he was you know, throwing for 3,500 yards and 20-plus touchdowns or right. whatever it was. But I, I, I think they're fine with what they have now. You bring in Jadavian Clowney because he is by far, by far, the best talent, and we've said this over and over again, and I know that people are going to say, oh, well, Manziel has such a high ceiling, and now <laughs> you know, he, he's skyrocketing, Nick, because people are comparing him to Russell Wilson. They're like, well, he's not very tall. He doesn't have the height. He doesn't have the size. Arm right. strength is good. Accuracy is good. Athleticism is through the roof. Well, if we're going to talk about athleticism, you got to talk about Jadavian Clowney. He is the best defensive prospect since probably in Dominican Sioux. And we all know how Dominican so. Sioux worked out. He was the second overall pick. Could you imagine? Don't you think the Rams are hurting a little bit that they didn't take Sue and they took Bradford instead? Just saying, man. So looking at it this way, they already went with a defensive guy in Mario Williams in 06 over Reggie Bush. I think clearly they're going to go with Jadavian Clowney. They're going to try their hand one more time with the offense that they have. And you know what, Nick? This is a very – and this hasn't being said a lot. This is a very deep draft 
for quarterbacks. I mean, later on, you got Derek Carr, who they can probably right. get the second round, who will be every bit as good as Blake Bortles. He's more pro-ready. You got Taj Boyd, who was in college for like nine years. <laughs> He's going to drop all the way to the fourth round, maybe. My point is, don't reach for a quarterback. If there was a quarterback that was head and shoulders, like by far the number one prospect, for instance, if Jameis Winston was in this draft, you take him number one overall. Right. But he's not. So you take Clowney, you get a quarterback somewhere in the second or third round. Derek Carr will be there. Derek Carr makes so much sense for this team. It's ridiculous. It's history repeating itself. Remember when they took David Carr when they first became a team, Nick? Now, Disaster. They're, now they're going with little brother Derek. The cycle continues. Well, I, I tell you what, you know, I was going to save this one for later, but since she brought it up, I'm just going to toss it out there. You know, it's been alleged, and I say alleged, that several teams are willing to bring in older brother David Carr to tutor younger brother Derek Carr, almost like a package deal. And I say, wait a minute, this isn't college football where you bring your buddy along because you're the star pupil and everyone wants you in college football. So okay, well, you know what? Do you, do you really want David Carr teaching anybody about playing quarterback, Nick? He no, won, and, and, he won and like three games in the NFL. Here's the strange thing. So I, I put that out there, right? And, and someone hit me up on Twitter, right, saying, wait a minute, Nick. Are you saying that David Carr couldn't get the job done? He's a 12-year veteran. I said, wait a minute. Think about this. He's a 12-year veteran who's been predominantly a backup. And for the three years he was with the Houston Texans, he did not excel. He was like a turnover sack machine. So, and then they also went on to say, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this as well. They said several backup quarterbacks in the NFL have gone on to be great coaches. And I say, listen, that's just it. They've gone on to be great coaches. Coaches. But if if you can't do, teach. Right, and then David Carr, in this case, if you if any team were to bring him on to back up his brother, at some point, if, they, if Derek Carr were to get injured, David Carr would have to be have to go in, and he would have to play. Now, with that being said, you got a guy who's a twelve year veteran who's been a backup for most of those twelve years. Do you want that guy to come in and lead your team down the stretch? I say no. But see, Nick, this is even assuming that Derek becomes a starting quarterback. I mean, let's say we go with my prediction here and the Texans get him in the second round. And you know what? There's a chance that a team could really want him and get him in the first round. But you look at the kind of teams, you know, the Jaguars, the Browns, the Texans, the Raiders. Well, maybe not the Raiders as much now, but teams that like need, desperately need a quarterback. And they're, they're kind of few and far between. So I really do see Carr drop into the second round, which is not an indictment on him. No, it's, it's not. Just a, it's just a matter of very few teams need a franchise quarterback right now. And, you know, the Texans are one of those teams. So if you wait and you let Manziel and Bortles and Bridgewater all go in the first round and you have Derek Carr drop to you in the second round, look, he wasn't a big name. He went to Fresno State. People didn't know who he was. The only reason people are familiar with his name is because he and his brother have the same last name. They both went to the same school. That's right. the only reason people knew about him. But he's every bit as good as Bortles or Bridgewater, in my opinion. Manziel, maybe same thing. Well, holding on the line right now, we have Uber agent Jack Real, a man who's been in the business for a long time, and he knows about certain situations like this. Jack, thank you for joining the program. Uh, Good to be with you, Nick. 
So, so you know, everyone knows this took place. Uh, Chad Bailey no longer with the Denver Broncos. He signs with the New Orleans Saints. And uh, there have been a lot of hearts that have been broken with the departure of Chad Bailey from Like from mine. Denver. Yeah, like, like, like my co-host Mario. At, at any point before uh, free agency started, did the Broncos, John Elway, or anyone in the organization come to you and say, listen, we're thinking about uh, asking Champ to take uh, less of less money to keep him with the team, or they just decided, well, we're just going to part ways with him totally. No, I, I I think that it was probably the latter, Nick. We really uh, and and Champ was not approached about making any sort of contractual concessions. I think the club had uh, evaluated uh, what they wanted to accomplish in free agency and simply decided that, you know, it was time to, to make a change. And we certainly respected, you know, their right to do that. It was a, it was a great 10 years with the organization. It's a great organization, and, and Champ has nothing but, you know, good, good feelings towards the Broncos. That's a nice uh, politically correct answer right there, sir. <laughs> 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 I will say this, man. Uh, do you think we're, I mean, we're, we're in an age where players are completely disrespected. And you look at this Broncos organization and the way that they've kind of shooed so many people out the door. The only player in Broncos history that has finished his career the way that he wanted on his own terms was John Elway. I mean, we didn't see it in Terrell Davis. We didn't really see it with Rod Smith. And we didn't see it with Champ Bailey, who was probably one of the biggest names here for the last decade. Why is it that something like this can happen where a player with so much respect and that means so much to a city like Denver is allowed to kind of just not even walk, but he's, he's cast off and not allowed to finish his career the way that he wants. Is that just the nature of the beast? Yeah, I don't think that that's anything that's unique, you know, to the Denver Broncos. I think that, you know, the state of professional football now, is that uh, you know players make a great deal of money, and every year uh, a club has to evaluate um, who, in their minds, is going to contribute to them uh, competing at the level they want to compete at, and making decisions about how they choose to spend their money. And of course, that's true. Obviously, now you know Demarcus Ware is a Denver Bronco because the. Dallas Cowboys made a similar analysis or decision regarding a great player had been a uh, significant part of, of of their team over the last right. number of years, and and they made a move. So now, uh, because of the money involved, it's just sort of the the nature of the beast. Uh, whether you're Julius Peppers or Demarcus Ware or Champ Bailey or you know any any number of other players, you know over the years, remember. It wasn't uh, any different with Joe Montana or Jerry Rice or Ronnie Lott. You know, they didn't end their careers with the 49ers. Uh, Joe Namath didn't end his career with the, uh, with the New York Jets. So it's just kind of the nature of the beast. Right. If you just joined the program, we're talking to Uber agent Jack Real and talking to him about uh, Champ Bailey, Denver Broncos, and the New Orleans Saints. Uh, Jack, you know, there's been a lot of criticism of Champ as of late. Uh, they go back to the game against the Baltimore Ravens where people were saying that Maybe he's slowed down. Maybe he's not himself. Then he follow up that with the next season. He only plays a couple of games. Now, as we fast forward to 2014, he signs with the New Orleans Saints. What does this mean for Champ moving forward? Can, can he be even a, a fraction of what he was uh, early on in his career? And how well does he fit in Rex Ryan's defense? Yeah, I, I think definitely. But before we move forward, I think we have to look back and 
you know, in 2012, uh, the NFL does a, a very detailed statistical analysis of, of every player uh, at each position uh, at the end of the season. And at the conclusion of the 2012 season, you know, notwithstanding the playoff game against the Ravens, I think Champ was rated statistically as a fourth or fifth best, uh, best cornerback in the National Football League. And they do that based on the number of times that a player's targeted, uh, you know, how many completions, what's the completion percentage against the player, you know, what's the average yards per catch that he gives up, how many touchdowns does he give up. And Champ had a phenomenal season in 2012, one of his very best. And what people forget is the Ravens and the Broncos played several weeks prior during the regular season. And Champ held Anquan Bolden and Torrey Smith to zero catches for zero yards while he was playing them. So then you fast forward, you know, for however many weeks it was, four or five weeks later in the playoffs, and okay, uh, you know, he had two or three bad plays in that game. Right. Um, doesn't overshadow the fact that, you know, he, he played Dwayne Bowe one-on-one against Kansas City, who was having a phenomenal year, and held him to zero yards for zero catches. Unfortunately, in professional sports, and understandably so, everybody judges you based on the last game you played. So unfortunately for him, the last game in 2012 was not a good game by his standards. Right. Then he gets hurt in 2013 for only the second time in his career uh, of 15 years. And um, a lot of players would have gone on injured reserve with a Liz Frank injury. Um, there were several players last year who had the same injury in the NFL and either had surgery and went on injured reserve or went on injured reserve without surgery. Champ made the decision to try and play because he knew this team had a chance to go to the Super Bowl. And he wanted to be part of that. And felt like he could, at 75 or 80%, compete and help them. And so, you know, he tried to come back middle of the season, played indoors at Indy, re-injured it, um, and then, you know, was out for another six or eight weeks. Came back in the playoffs, and if you watch the film... His play against San Diego in New England was excellent. And right. uh, he played Amendola for New England, and Amendola didn't have a catch. The Seattle game, uh, nobody played well. And people who watch the film, who at the pro level evaluate it, uh, have told me, hey, it's not, it's not all on him. But you can't tell that from the telecast or people who are not as familiar with schemes and the way the game's played. So... To answer your question, do I think he can play well in 2014? Yeah, absolutely. And I think he's proud enough where if he didn't think he could, he wouldn't do it. Um, he's not about to go out there and get embarrassed. And obviously, New Orleans did their due diligence, plus had him in for a visit, uh, had him you know, physically examined, and felt like, yeah, he can help us win. So they signed him. So real quick, we're up against the break. More on that, uh, just super quick in one minute. Uh, they brought in Jarius Bird. They obviously has, have Kenny Vaccaro. And I think what, what Mario was going to say, that, they, that you look at the depth that they have at the safety position. I know Chad was saying that he was willing to play safety at, at some point in his career. Do you think that they get to the point, because now he's in the NFC South, uh, or NFC period, where they have uh, – a plethora of wide receiver really quickly. Do you think that we could possibly see Champ Bailey playing safety at some point, covering a tight end in the slot? You know, I, I think in his discussions with the Saints, um, they're going to bring him in and he's going to compete for that starting cornerback slot. Um, 
if he does not earn that, um, then, you know, will he play a nickel position? You know, will he play inside some? Um, I'm, I'm sure that that's the way they would use him, just as the Broncos did somewhat when he was coming back off of an injury. But to start with, he's going in there to compete for the starting spot at corner. So let's just say real quickly, if Champ Bailey, for some reason, doesn't seem to have regained his own form, he's healthy, and he's shown that he can cover on the outside, would you say that now, Champ, this is it for Champ? Because it seemed like the Saints was the only team that was interested in him at this point. Well, there are other teams that were willing to sign him, but not not for terms that you know that we found particularly attractive, or were not teams that that met his criteria um, because he was not willing to just go play for somebody for the highest price um, if he didn't believe that they had an opportunity to compete, uh, you know, and and go back to the Super Bowl. So, you know, there were there was a list of teams that you know that he had an interest in, right. and the Saints was the best situation for him. So, you know, um, I'm not going to speculate or be too concerned about the future because I've got ultimate faith in him and, and what he's able to accomplish and what he can do and how he, you know, he knows best what he can do. And um, I think he'll keep on playing and playing at a, at a high level for the next year or two. Well, Jack, thanks uh, for joining us and thanks for giving us that uh, insightful information. I know you're a very uh, busy guy. Uh, tell uh, Champ Bailey, I said... Uh, Hello, and hopefully at some point we can get him on the show uh, as well. Uh, and and I believe as well, just like Jack said, I believe in Champ Bailey, and I believe in his ability despite all the naysayers. I played in the locker room with him. I know what he has as uh, in his heart and how he takes to the game every day. He practices just as well as he plays the game. And I think Champ Bailey is going to uh, make a lot of people eat their words after the break, we'll talk to Ken Swilling, Captain America himself. You'll listen to Nick Ferguson on Voice America Sports. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. I just think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter. Formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams, Kwame's got the experience. So he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. Get ready for an unpredictable, fun, and sometimes sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. 
are listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to nickfergshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. You know what? That is really re- ridiculous. Um, hey, great stuff from Jack Real on Champ Bailey. And, uh, you know, I know Champ Bailey's going to make a comeback. And like I said before, I went to the break. He's going to surprise a lot of people because nothing beats a guy on a mission with naysayers draped around him. And he's had a lot of naysayers talk about him. Uh, on the line right now, we have, and let me give him his proper introduction. 1990 national champ, 6'3", 228 pounds, and he ran a 4.51. You really don't see that out of safety that size anymore. Welcome in, Mr. Captain America himself, Ken Swillen. Swell, what's going on? Hey, man, how you doing, Nick? What's going on, man? Hey, you know what? I I have to say this. I'm, I'm happy that you decided to join the program and and as a high school kid growing up, uh, every kid in our secondary, there was one guy in college football that they wanted to be, and it was Ken Swellen. And, and, and I read something somewhere that even the great Hall of Fame linebacker Ray Lewis even looked up to you himself. Well, when you hear that, how does that make you feel knowing that so many players looked up to you, and even though you haven't played in a Georgia Tech uniform in years, you still continue to inspire guys? Uh, you know, it makes you feel kind of good. Um, makes me feel uh, really good and really proud of some of the things I was able to accomplish. Uh, I've always been that kind of guy that was kind of humble and never really took a lot onto myself. Even when I was playing, I didn't really uh, think very highly of myself. You know, you know, I was all about the team. But uh, when I hear guys come up to me and say those things or hear those things, like uh, you're talking about with the Ray, uh, it makes me feel really good that you know. You, you never know who you're affecting. You never know who you have an effect on. And uh, that's why I try to encourage uh, kids around to, to go out and give 100% because you never know at what point in your life things are going to change or things are going to, you know, going to have an effect on somebody else. And, um, you know, I'm just glad that I was able to uh, to do that and, and glad to be on your show today because, uh, you know, it's, it's good to, it's just good to be here. Well, I, I tell you what, when I go back to, uh, that 1990 season and having a little nostalgia throwback Thursday here. I mean, you played with some great collegiate athletes. I mean, you had Curly Day, Marco Coleman, uh, you had Sean, Sean Jones. I mean, you played with all these great players and, and go back to that game against Nebraska. When you guys went in at halftime, what was the atmosphere like and what did Bobby Ross say or have to say to get you guys prepared for that second half? Uh, he didn't have to say too much. Uh, as you said before, I played with a bunch of great guys, uh, and, you know, and, you know, to, to really, um, go into detail about what was said. That was so long ago. I can't remember verbatim everything that was said, but, uh, you know, Coach Ross didn't have to say too much to us that day. We knew what was on the line. Uh, we knew what was going on. We knew, uh, that we've always, we always felt disrespected. That team was a, a team of underdogs, uh, because, 
the whole country uh, betted against us. Nobody thought that we could beat Nebraska. Nobody thought that we should be uh, tied at that time for, to be the number one team in the country. Uh, nobody thought anything. Nobody we, we weren't getting any respect in the press, or you know, from you know, uh, fans even around in our own city. So we, um, we, you know, we were kind of like a band of brothers that stuck together and uh, declared that we would go into that game with the mindset of winning and came out on top. And um, so so glad we did. And even though you know we've had a split national championship and all that good stuff, it's still good. It was still great for uh, Georgia Tech. And it was still great for uh, the state of Georgia. Well, I tell you, one person I forgot to mention, uh, the great uh, interception machine, uh, Willie Clay. Uh, now, uh-huh. going back, sticking to uh, that 1990 season, you guys started off the season and you were not even ranked. But by the end of the season, I mean, you were number two. Talk about that, that, that transformation from going to a team that didn't have a lot of publicity, wasn't on the radar to now finishing up number two in the country. I mean, it, it was really great. I, um, I remember working out that summer. Uh, a lot of us stayed around to work out at Georgia Tech, and um, we kind of made a commitment. And I was the first person to really look at the schedule and say, "Look, hey, we can win every game that we that we play this year." And um, I believe it so much and so that I got into a press conference the next day or so after we was you know talking to the guys, and I actually said it. And, of course, uh, Coach Ross called me in the office <laughs> not too long after that and told me that, you know, Kenny, you can't say things like that. But that's how we felt. That's what we believed. We believed that we could win every game. And uh, we knew we had a good enough defense to keep us in each ball game. And we just didn't know who would score the points we needed to win. But we thought that, you know, we had enough talent on that team to be um, uh, uh, successful during the year. Now, us winning um, – all the games that we played, you know, kind of was kind of um, that was kind of adding on, uh, topping on on top of the cake because right. you know we didn't ex- we we expected it, we wanted it to happen, but to see it come to fruition was kind of uh, very good and very uh, self fulfilling. Now let let me ask you this: I went to see you, and you know we all know how they've been playing recently, but back in 1990, shared a national title with Georgia Tech. So let me ask you this: of those two teams that year. Who would have won in the game? Because <laughs> uh, I, I think the Buffs. I mean, you, I feel like it would have been forty-five nothing. You know, uh, at least that's the way. Uh, that's the way I felt. And, and you know, the thing about it, I hated that that we neither one of us could go to the um, to the White House that year uh, because I believe we could have played on the on the lawn somewhere. I believe if they'd have let us come. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but um, it was uh, it would have been a good game. I, I, you know, all jokes aside, it would have been a great game. Uh, you guys had uh, some great players, Eric Bieniemy and and Alfred Williams, and all those guys. I mean, you 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 guys were loaded, so it was it would have been a great game. I, I they did need five to downs to beat Missouri against, though uh, against those guys just to see what would have happened. Right. Well, if you just joined the program, we're listening to Captain America himself, part of the Avengers. Ken Swilling reminiscing about uh, some 1990 national championship. And Mario, you just talked about the fact that they played the Buffs. You know, and and this is, you know, I'm going to just toss this out there. I really think that Georgia Tech should have just had that national championship to themselves. They shouldn't have. Why why you got to do me like that, man? I'm just being totally honest. (laughs) If you go back to that schedule and look at who the Buffs had to play, they were in a couple of tough games and a couple of controversial calls. 
And Georgia Tech did what they had to do. They came from obscurity to finish up top at the end of the season. But, but Ken, I'm going to ask you this question. When you talked about the belief in, in, in oneself and the fact of jumping out there as a team captain saying, hey, listen, who, who's to say that we can't win? Uh, watching Georgia Tech football now, that doesn't seem to be the mentality of the team, doesn't seem to be the mentality of the fan base or even the mentality of Coach Paul Johnson. So where do you see this team going, and is Paul Johnson the right coach for this team? Um, you know, I, I think at, at this juncture, at this time, you know, I, I believe, you know, um, along with some of my fellow alumnus, uh, it might be a time for a change um, yeah, there in, in the program. Uh, for the simple fact that um, you know, you see the the amount of the lack of talent that is coming right. in now, and uh, that has been a major concern of mine. You know, is just when I go down to the uh, to the games and I step on the field, and I'm sometimes the biggest guy in my area. And that shouldn't be. I'm 43. I can't play anymore. So, <laughs> so I shouldn't be the biggest guy standing on the field as far as linemen, as far as defensive linemen. You know, I think, you know, when he first got there, everything was going well. Um, but we just haven't recruited well enough, you know, to compete at the level that's needed to be, that we need to compete at. You know, and, uh, you know, once people get used to your system, used to what you do, um, you know, sometimes it's hard for, um, for a coach that has had success doing what he's done to change. And uh, people have gotten used to us. People have know how to scheme for us. And, you know, we haven't done enough to put enough wrinkles into our offense to make it as diverse as it, poss- as it probably could be. And uh, quite honestly, I don't think we've done enough recruiting-wise to get the talent that is necessary uh, to actually compete and to be a winning program that, um, that we once were. Uh, and I do think it's time for change. The only problem with the, the change at this point, if we did make a change, if something did happen, is I believe the coffers are bare at Georgia Tech. There's right. not really a uh, a great line of talent there, and the next coach come in would probably struggle for the next uh, three to five years just trying to get back to a baseline of what is known today as uh, you know as far as offense and defense and all of that good stuff. It'd be really hard to. Um, uh, for a new coach to come in and, and be successful, I feel. Well, Ken, last question before we let you get out of here. Now, recently, uh, Vat Lee, a very athletic, uh, highly touted quarterback, decided to transfer to Georgia Tech. I mean, at any point, did you have any communication with him? And if you were able to, what kind of advice would you have given him as far as dealing with his situation and his frustration with the offense? Uh, you know, I, I, I think... You know, and I look at it from a standpoint, if that was my son now, if, it, if I had a son that was in that situation, uh, what would I say to him? How would I advise him? Um, you know, first of all, if I know my talents are not suited for the system that you're running. Right. Uh, and, and I want to go and I have aspirations of going into the NFL or any other place. That system is not built or not designed to take a quarterback and put him in the NFL level. So... You know, Georgia Tech would automatically be off my off our list. You know, I, I probably wouldn't put wouldn't want to put my son in a situation that he's not going to flourish or he's not going to grow. And heck, if he's a quarterback, he didn't want to get beat up all the time. Right. And I understand the kid frustration. I understand why he transferred. I understand all that. But you know, 
coming into a situation, sometimes you feel like that's the best situation because of the school and because of the academics. But if you have an aspiration of doing other things, then you have to think about, you know, four or five years from now. Sometimes a kid at 18 can't make that decision, can't see four or five years from now, you know, that by the time he gets becomes a senior, he's going to be beat up, you know, because he's running in, running this option quarterbacks uh, situation and he's getting hit all the time. Right. So, um, you know, and, and, you know, if they did other things uh, to develop his um, his throwing um, mechanics and skills and things of that nature, because the kid was highly touted coming out of high school, probably one of the Absolutely. best quarterbacks in the nation. Yes, he was. You know, so, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know how that does not transfer or what do you what's not happening, you know, from from the coaching standpoint that doesn't allow a kid that's a, a blue chip athlete to to flourish and develop into your system and to not only, you know, be good here, but cause other kids to want to come play with him, you know. Right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you heard from the great Ken Swellen, a.k.a. Captain America. Ken, uh, continue to inspire kids. Ken, continue to inspire people like myself, like you always do. And hopefully that program down in Atlanta and Paul Johnson can turn things around and turn the program back into a powerhouse. Uh, thank you once again for joining the program. I appreciate it. Uh, that's Ken Swellen, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I tell you what, another great show. I want to thank Ryan Burden for the boxingscene.com for joining the program. Jack Riel, and once again, the great himself, Ken Swellen. Uh, maybe at some point, Ivory would uh, decide to join the party, but... If not, I'm always holding it down here. Oh, Justin, come on, man. Justin, well, thank you again for uh, keeping everyone communicated and tied in together. Without you, none of this would take place. Of course, I would like to thank uh, uh, Celebrity Center International for letting me use the pavilion here to film the show. And my three amigos who I would like to mention their name, but they would rather me not to because they are just that humble. I appreciate their work as always. Yeah, I love them. I mean, they, they make sure everything runs smoothly on this side. And to ne- next week, we're probably going to have Tim Bradley. I'm working on it. I talked to him. Probably wants to be on the show. So next week, another exciting show. Hey, next week, Nick Ferguson and Mario Vitanzi. That's what they come for. That's what they Yeah, say. I don't know. I got to work for the Ebony, the Ivory part. But Ebony will surely <laughs> be here for sure. That's Nick Ferguson's secondary perspective until next week. We'll God see. bless. Thanks again for stopping by. Be sure to catch Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective again next Thursday at 1 p.m. 10 a.m. in the West on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll share some more great stories next week.